Welcome to the Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. How does a leader earn the top spot? Number one, most influential person in data, according to Data IQ. The answer is by driving unmatched business value. Meet Diana Shieldhouse, Chief Analytics and Insights Officer at Colgate Palmolive. On this episode, Diana takes us through Colgate Palmolive's data journey and how she continuously demonstrates business value with the company's data projects. Learn how she builds teams, involves stakeholders, and thinks about innovation and outcomes. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Diana, welcome to the Data Chief. Thank you, Cindy. Excited to be here. Good. And where is here? Where are you joining us from today? So I'm in New York. Um, Colgate's based in New York and Manhattan, but I'm actually at my house today. I live just north of the city in Westchester County. Oh, beautiful. Well, normally I would say you're in my backyard. This is actually the first data chief that we are recording when I am actually visiting London today. So you're halfway around the world for me. So let's start with the headline. I feel like I should say congratulations on being named most influential person in data of the year. Thank you. Thank you. That's a huge milestone. When you think about all the data leaders out there, some who have been your coworkers, your mentors, your peers in the industry, why do you think you were awarded this distinction among others? All right. Well, I mean, first I have to say, I think this is a team effort and this more than anything represents not just me, but I mean, I might be the face of it, but it's really the team at Colgate Palmolive and everything that we've done in the last couple of years that I think has um, led to this. But, you know, when I think about what has made us successful in driving value at the company that I think was was probably tied to to this was a relentless focus on driving business value. So we are constantly talking about how are we making sure that what we're doing as far as data and analytics, driving business value, how are we answering a question? How are we moving the needle for the company in terms of driving revenue, um, being smarter about how we manage costs and deploy big buckets of spend? So it's, I think that focus on the business and then secondarily the data and the tech and what you need to bring that about, but really first and foremost, the business is what has enabled us to be so successful and I think what has potentially set us apart. Yeah, that's great. So like all great data leaders, you do credit the team. I love that you do that. And to this end, I do think how in the last year, even there was a survey stat from Gartner talking about how two thirds of data leaders cannot articulate the value of all their data efforts that they've put forth. And yet you had a quote in an article, an interview, that you are use case driven with measurable business value. So is that something you've always practiced or do you think this is a maturing of the role? 
No, it's something that I've, it's an approach I brought with me from prior companies as well. But I think that as we look at how this role is shifting, that has to be one of the top priorities for every data leader right now. So, you know, I think that, that there's a lot of foundational work that we all know is so important to, to what we all want to do, but it tends to not be the flashier work that gets the attention and attention leads to investment and, you know, it, encouragement of what we're trying to do and prioritization. So we have to prove that what we're doing is actually moving the needle in some way that matters to the business. I think that the approach of sort of let's take five years and invest in data and get it to a perfect spot, and then we can start doing analytics and, and showing that value is just not one that I don't think any company has has patience for. So it's something that I've always focused on, but I, I see and hear it more and more at conferences I go to and conversations with peers that figuring out how to measure value, and it's different for every, every company, um, the different approaches you can take there. It's not a perfect science, but getting to a place where you can show that here is tangibly what happened as a result of everything our team is doing is critically important. And that leads to more and more and you know more success, more acceptance from the business, more excitement from the business to work with you on things when you can show that you had a big win that actually mattered in a metric that matters to them. Yeah, big wins, quick wins. For sure, five years is too long since most CDOs don't even make it to two years now. But maybe if you bring us back to two years ago or two and a half years ago, when you first joined Colgate, Colgate Palmolive, what did you initially do? Who were your key partners that set you up for success? Yeah. So so my role was newly created when I joined um, Colgate Palmolive. So one of the first things that I did is I, I, I know other leaders call it this too. I did what I called a listening tour. So I had probably a hundred one-on-ones in my first six weeks across various parts of the company. So different leaders, different geographies. Colgate's a very global company. We operate in over 200 countries around the world. So a very broad global footprint. So I talked to folks from all different regions in the world, different functions, marketing, our commercial, our customer development teams, finance, the leadership, the folks on the ground to just understand what mattered, what the priorities were as far as the business, where the pain points were that I thought we could help solve, how things were done here. You know, you have to learn the lingo in any new company you come into. So I did a lot of listening in the beginning. This was actually complicated by the fact that I joined Colgate during COVID. Um, oh, goodness. So I was yeah. 100% virtual you know, for my first six months in the role. Everyone was virtual. So I didn't get the benefit of kind of those in-person connections. You know, I had to do it through a screen like we all did. We all adapted during that time. Um, so I started by just really listening and, and understanding what was happening. I think sometimes in functional uh, or technical expert roles, the tendency might be to come in and say, well, you're doing these things wrong and this is what you need to do. And I think that is really the wrong approach when you're coming into a new company because, you know, I, I certainly jotted things down in conversations like, I wonder why they do it this way or this didn't work in the past. Let me figure out what happened on that. But I think if you kind of come in thinking that you have all the answers on what you need to do without first taking the time to get to know people in the business and understand it, it sort of sets you off on the wrong foot right away. So that was something I yeah. did first um, when I joined. I also did some benchmarking because I wanted, I mean, I love data. We all love data. Yes. So I wanted some external data and just facts around where Colgate sat relative to, you know, our peer group or other CPGs or even just, you know, across other industries in terms of data and analytics maturity. 
So I worked with an external partner, I worked with BCG on that. They have a, a great study that sort of maps you in terms of your maturity and different elements within data and analytics. So that gave us both a very fact-based starting point and then let us determine, okay, what's our aspiration? You know, where do we want to get to in one, two, three plus years? And then that helped me understand where to focus in as far as what, you know, time to set the strategy now. So where do we need to focus? Where do we want to make progress? What do we want to be in this space? Thank you. Are you able to share what was your maturity then and what would you think it is now? It was not surprising where where we were because we had a lot of pockets of great work happening around the world. But what we hadn't had yet was that sort of unifying enterprise strategy of what are we trying to achieve at the company level as far as analytics and, and data. You know, I think we were where a lot of companies are when they're starting out. There are a lot of pilots happening, you know, again, pockets of excellence, we called it. But what we wanted to get to was uniform excellence across some of these right. areas. Um, and in, in a company, again, as broad as Colgate operating in so many countries, that is so critically important because I think when you're starting from kind of an ad hoc, you know, pilot-based approach, those don't add up to moving the needle. And you also don't, you know, kind of learn things that you can scale to other places without that overarching strategy. For sure. And I do often find that certain business units or regions or functional areas will be analytically mature in an organization. And I say, let those be your beacons to help bring others along. But it's the cohesive strategy that really leads to the company being an analytical leader. So on that path to improving your maturity across Colgate-Palmolive, you shared a best practice at the recent MIT CDO forum on how to ensure your executives are more data fluent. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah. We're, this is something we're very proud of at Colgate-Palmolive, and I work really closely with our HR learning and development team on this. So we, um, one of the things that I realized coming in, and I think this is the case in most companies, is that we had an opportunity to get everyone on a common language, kind of speaking the same vocabulary, also demystify the lingo. This is something that I think is really important because you know, a lot of the terminology in this space can, you know, make folks sort of worry that they don't know what it is um, in the business or maybe even a bit defensive about it. It sounds complicated and, you know, that it's something that they need to understand because data is part of everyone's job, not just my team. And so that was critically important. So what we did is put together what we called our Data Literacy and Analytics Academy. So it had a few elements. The first thing is that it was curated by function, by current um, knowledge of, of analytics terms and maturity. So it was not one size fits all. So we started with an assessment um, that we wrote within my team and the learning teams, like uh, 25 or 30 questions across different data and analytics topics. Everyone in the company, um, salaried and professionals, 16,000 people took this assessment. It was complete from the CEO down to you know entry level folks around the world. It was completely confidential. So you got your own score back. We got it at an aggregated level so we could look at where the company was starting. But you received your score back and then recommendations on um, the next learning opportunities for you to pursue based on, again, if you're in marketing, if you're in sales, if you're you know, an analytics practitioner. And we partnered with DataCamp um, and also the presentation company to help us bring different parts of this to life. So with DataCamp, we had you know courses across many different topics, again, for practitioners, but also for the business. 
And then with the presentation company, we had um, data storytelling courses. So how to use data and present it visually in a way that will be compelling you know, to your audience. The curated nature of that, I think, really got people on board with not feeling like they were just getting a generic recommendation across you know, 16,000 people in the company. The other thing that I, I have to say, I, I wasn't sure about it at first. I had to stand corrected on this, but the learning team came to me and said that we should do badges. Um, there's a company, Credly, that does that does badges. And I thought, I don't know, do, do people, you know, do they care about that? Does that motivate people? And and I'm so glad we did because it turned out actually to be a big motivator. So if you took certain amount of courses, you received different levels of a badge and they were posting them on LinkedIn. And I was interacting and, you know, giving everybody a thumbs up and a clap if they did it. And it just sort of led to this almost like a movement within Colgate of people being really proud to say that they had taken these AI and analytics courses. And we had country managers posting and saying, like, I did this. It's so important because data is part of all of our jobs. And then their teams would see that. Um, Noel, our CEO, posted his badge that he had completed the training. We focus on continuous learning a lot in the company. And it made it sort of a safe space for everyone that we all need to learn about this, myself included, because the space is constantly changing. And learning is an important part of that. And this is something we were all going to get behind as a company. So we were really proud of, of how that turned out. So many best practices there, Diana. And yes, people love badges. They love that sense of accomplishment. I really like that you didn't have an overwhelming number of questions. And I, I don't want to lead the witness here, and I don't know the answer, but if I picture those first um, 12 to 15 questions that you had everyone answer, how much of it was about technology or certain analytics capabilities versus the language of the business? It was very much about technology and data and analytics, but we, we wrote the questions in a way that would make sense through the lens of the business. So it would say, you know, you're a brand manager, you're a marketing manager working on this, you know, this scenario happens, what's the right approach? So we tried to make it customized to Colgate in a way where anyone taking it would see familiar terminology from our business and it would be relevant. They were real concepts, real data and analytics and technical concepts. And I think the other thing that was really great about this, the assessment itself was that you know, if if anyone thought like, oh yeah, I know I know all about analytics. You know, that's Excel spreadsheets. I've been doing that for a long time. Even just reading the questions, I had people come to me and say, "Wow, I didn't quite realize what how this space has evolved, and I'm excited to learn about it now." So even just reading the questions, I think, was an eye opener to to lots of folks. You entice them. That's great. Yeah. So you engaged everyone in the company. You you had a simple data literacy, data fluency program. But I also want to come back to your very unique title that I love, Chief Analytics and Insights Officer. So how much do you think that communication, the signal that it's about the insights as part of your job title influences your ability to create true business value? Was this something you negotiated in your hiring? Did you know? Did the CEO know you had to articulate it this way? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think there's two aspects of that. So I so I do also lead our consumer insights teams as well, as well as you know, data and advanced analytics. And so I think having those teams together is so powerful and it does send the right message that it's not just 
data alone that is going to tell us what we need to know to make decisions in the business. People centricity is important to us. So we need to deeply understand, you know, what our consumers are thinking, doing, needing, what their pain points are and how we can solve them. And across my teams, you know, that can be solved through work that is more traditional consumer insights work or through data and analytics, or there's a lot of areas where those teams merge and work together. So I think that was critical because it is about the insights. Actually, it's about the impact and the insights are what lead to the impact, not just the data itself. But I think the other thing that was, I think, that is important about my role and was something that drew me to this was where I sit in the organization. So, um, so I report to the president. She oversees strategy, global marketing, analytics and insights, digital, IT, R and D, innovation, and probably supply chain. I'm probably leaving a few out. She's a very wide remit. Um, but I, because of that, I'm very close to the business. And so, I think it also positions this role as one that is going to be a, a true partner working with the business on helping them achieve their goals and helping drive growth for the company versus a role that is sort of could be seen in you know in, in other structures as sort of back office, very tech focused and removed from the day-to-day business. So that was important to me in deciding to come to Colgate Palo Alto. Yeah. So a good a good title, a good reporting line at the heart of impact and operations. As So Colgate is a very broad brand and portfolio with a number of different business units. Do you want to take us through some of the key business units that you interact with and the role that data plays, or the role, now I should say, the role that insight and action plays in meeting consumer needs where they are? Yes, absolutely. And you may not know this, but the Colgate brand is actually in more homes than any other around the world. More than Coca-Cola. I believe it. Other brands. (laughs) And I mentioned over 200 countries. So, you know, with that, when you have that kind of size and scale and breadth, you know, there are a million places that you can go. And And I mentioned we do have work happening, you know, across many functional areas that where I focused first was around our commercial business. So for that, uh, we kind of define that as uh, marketing, um, customer development, or sales, um, as well as innovation. And so, I think you've mentioned before that our my strategy was use case driven, and that's something that I think has also been part of the success. So, you know, there are so many ways that you can drive impact through data and analytics. But if you try to do everything at once, especially with where the starting point that we were at with this being a new function, I just I think it's really difficult to actually get traction and show those quick wins. So we focused in very much on the commercial side. So again, marketing and and customer development. And we chose areas, we looked across sort of a menu of use cases in CPG and said, where can we, which are going to be most relevant for Colgate? Where can we drive the most impact? Where do we have the biggest buckets of spend that where if we optimize, we can drive real value out of that? And so those for us were revenue growth management, RGM, which is things like pricing and promotion and assortment. Um, And then whether in-store or online. And then um, the other is marketing and media effectiveness. And the third is innovation. So those were, we kind of started with those first two, and now we're doing a lot in innovation analytics as well. So it's at the commercial side of the business is where we've initially focused in this first couple of years. Right. So you started on the commercial side, and maybe I, I, I'm guessing you can't give us a specific brand, but I'll tell you one of my favorite is the lavender-scented palm olive dish soap. I have a thing for lavender. Wonderful. don't know why. So so we're in the home care division. And if you think of all that data 
and you joined two and a half years ago. So a little more online shopping that I than what I historically would have been doing. Tell us a little bit about some of the innovations that you brought that revealed more about this type of product innovation and branding. Yeah, you know, and I think there's there's so many different data sources that that you can think about that would go into something like that creation of the product that you said that you love. So, you know, we have obviously all of our, you know, syndicated data or sales performance data on what's selling, but when you're thinking about innovation and new product development, you know, we have to be thinking about what will be important to consumers or what will be a trend a few years out just because of product life cycle. Um, so there's a lot of really innovative work that the team has done looking at, um, you know, things like social listening or what people are searching for, what's yeah. happening um, in other markets that tend to be leaders in terms of trends and in other categories. Um, so oftentimes in skin health, which is a business that Colgate's in as well, we may start to see ingredients that are trending in certain parts of the world in the skincare, luxury skincare markets or categories that eventually will make its way into mainstream household products. So there's really exciting work that has been happening around being able to sort of predict what those trends will be uh, in ways that we weren't able to do before just because of the vast amounts of data we're, we're looking at from so many sources around the world. So Diana, this also sounds like a lot of data, a lot of different data sources Maybe not all that are easy to blend and combine disparate data sources. What are some of the challenges you face with this breadth of data sources? That recognition of, of exactly what you just said is also one of the reasons that we started with this use case driven approach. So I think, you know, coming into any organization, we're, look, the data journey is never ending for all of us. We are all, I, I don't think you ever get to a place where you feel like your data is all, everything you need is in you know, a great place, all harmonized, clean, and easily accessible for everyone when you're operating, again, across so many dimensions and countries around the world, so many new data sources coming in. So it's sort of a, a constant moving target. And so the way that we have approached this is looking at, again, what are those use cases and in what specific markets are we going to focus first that we need to pursue to answer a business question? What are the analytics solutions or applications that can help answer that? And then what's the data that we need for that? So we call that our use case driven data strategy versus sort mm -hmm. of an overall kind of generic approach to thinking about what we could do with all possible data sources that we have. Now, I will say that there is still a lot of room and a lot of value in exploration of what the art of the possible is with new data sources. So we are also looking at that, um, but we try to really be laser focused on the data that we need to deliver what we think will move the business and build from there versus starting with the data. Um, so we kind of talk about, you know, we're not trying to boil the ocean because again, I think it's really hard to show value and progress when you're solely focused on that and not on delivering, you know, tools that can actually help the business make a decision today or tomorrow that's going to impact growth and, and revenue. Yeah, I often describe it as bottoms up. What data do I have? Can I do anything useful or top down? How can I align to that KPI or that value that I'm trying to improve? And maybe 20 years ago, you did bottoms up because you only had internal data. It was only structured data. And now as everything is exploded, it can be so overwhelming. But one of the areas that I see CPG and retail trying to improve 
in the past, maybe as a producer, you didn't have direct visibility into somebody like me, into the consumers buying your brands. In a digital world, maybe you have a little more understanding of what I'm actually doing either in the physical store or online. How are you trying to better understand the products that I like today and where I might be going? Yeah, so we have been very focused over the last several years on first-party data um, because we do recognize that, you know, as we're selling through retailers and what's hap- with what's happening with um, cookie deprecation, um, that visibility into, you know, consumer paths um, will soon be going away for for all of us. So first-party data is is critical, but I also think you kind of touched on retailer data partnerships, and that's an area that we've been really excited about and exploring now. Uh, things like clean rooms, um, yes. joint, we we also refer to as retailer joint value creation. So how can we work together with specific um, customers of ours? Data sharing agreements are in place that, again, protect the privacy of individuals, because I think we're all more focused on that and aware just as consumers ourselves these days. But how can we look for opportunities to bring data sets together in ways that help us, again, you know, grow together but also deliver value and you know engage with our consumers in the right way at the right time with the right content that they that they want to see. This space is, I think, really exciting because there's so much innovation happening here. There's just so much growth in different data sources that you can bring together. So it's something we're very very focused on. Yeah, I love the term uh, retailer joint value creation. Another area of innovation that you've brought is around machine learning and AI. What can you share about this? Yeah. So, you know, what, when we're thinking about bringing these sort of, you know, advanced techniques to, to Colgate-Palmolive, we, of course, we look at the continuum within analytics of kind of diagnostic, descriptive, predictive, and prescriptive. So we have work happening across all aspects of that. On the, you know, sort of the diagnostic and descriptive side, we're really sort of focused on how do we just get day-to-day information that's clean and reliable in the hands of, of folks around the business who can use it. And then the predictive and prescriptive, of course, tends to be the most exciting because that's where we're really looking at how we can how we can push the needle. We're always, though, not focused on tech for tech's sake. So rather than, you know, how can we bring machine learning or AI to bear again, it is looking at what are our business questions and priorities, and then how can these how can more advanced techniques actually help us get answers to the business in new ways that are innovative or faster that just weren't humanly possible before. That's how we really think about that. The other aspect that we look through is growth versus efficiency. Um, So we're primarily focused on how we can drive growth and innovation for the business. There are also a lot of efficiency opportunities to be had through the use of AI and ML. So if we can get to, you know, being able to process vast amounts of data that again, wasn't humanly possible to run a million scenarios, you know, in seconds before, and now we can get to that. That obviously is a, a huge time saver, but what we really want to focus on more than the efficiency angle is how we can drive revenue, how we can uh, make recommendations that are not academic or theoretical, actually are something that the business agrees, like, yes, this is a good recommendation. This is something I'm going to take forward and act on, and then measuring the value of those. And so these recommendations, it could be pricing optimization, it could be supply chain optimization, it could be what new product or packaging, is that right? Right, promotion, uh, marketing and media, 
yeah, pricing you mentioned. So it's quite broad from a, let's say, functional area. If we can go back a little bit also to the business unit areas. So you have personal products, you have home products, you also have the, the pet products. As you think about your team and how you interface which with each of these lines of business, how are you organized? What are the hand, handoffs and concepts yeah. like data as a product? Is this something you're practicing or how does that actually work? Yeah. Yeah. And so in terms of structure, what we had chosen when we first set this up was what we call center-led hybrid. Um, and so that means, so so we, Colgate has geographic divisions um, around the world, and we also have um, that are focused on oral care, personal care, home care. And we also have our pet business as well as skin health. Um, so we have different divisional teams, and then we have our global and, and corporate team. So what center-led hybrid means is that I have a global team based primarily in New York, we also have some folks in, in India and New Jersey that are part of that team that covers areas like data science and advanced analytics, um, engineering, data ops and strategy, and also deployment. Um, so how we take the solutions of the products to the different divisions and make sure they're actually embedded um, in the business teams that are sort of almost parachuting in and working with the local teams. We also have division or functionally based analytics and insights teams that are much closer on the ground. I mean, they're physically located on the ground with those teams around the world and are much closer to the day-to-day. -day. So it's an ecosystem where we're all working together different ends of the spectrum. If there's something that we're creating in the global team, there's a solution that we are intending to scale you know, to our top 10 markets. And we have division teams, division insights and analytics teams that can then take those, work with us, on making sure that they actually meet the needs of the folks on the ground and are embedded in the processes and the, the rhythm of how they make decisions day to day. So centralized for scale and then business unit led for the domain expertise. What about if somebody says, well, I really like this new data source. So you had mentioned social earlier. Who, who leads that? Is it kind of a first in approach and then you scale? Or how does that work? Yeah, so you know, we we always are making decisions based on that use case driven strategy, um, because again, I think there's always some you know sort of bright shiny object you could chase in different areas. But we're really trying to drive scale and and value. So if there are areas to innovate that are within the buckets that we've identified as those biggest priorities, like RGM marketing, media innovation then those are areas where we have an opportunity. We, we take what we call a co-creation approach. So there may be a specific market that has brought you know, something, an idea of something that would really solve a problem for them within one of those buckets. And then we'll work directly with them on building something that, again, has the potential to scale elsewhere though. So not, not sort of ad hoc and so highly customized that we can't take it anywhere else. But I think that's one of the biggest, you know, I think, opportunities and also challenges with working with a company that is so global is that scale is the most important thing for for what we're looking to drive with analytics but at the same time you know one size does not fit all so we can't create something a product that is so you know almost watered down that it that it applies to everyone and then it actually doesn't help anyone on the ground with their decisions or doesn't actually drive value at the same time when you're driving scale you can't go, um, you can't uh, try to pursue a very bespoke approach for every single possible 
market and, and category that we're dealing with. So where we kind of balance in the middle of that is we look at different archetypes for our markets. So whether they're distributor-led, um, presence of modern trade, the category strength in, in different markets, the types of data that they have, and and um, those that are sort of data-rich and, and have less data. And we try to create these archetypes to make sure that what we're producing can apply to large portions of them. So it's sort of halfway between the the sort of, you know, one-size-fits-all approach and then very bespoke on the ground. Well, you used a word, though, that I think is important to note, co-creation. You're not thinking of them as shadow IT, and that's a very important distinction and mindset shift. Yeah, you know, it's really, it's very much about working together. And, you know, we we talk to about change management a lot. And, you know, in the end, you can be off in a corner in an ivory tower building a beautiful solution that you think is so brilliant and you you know you kind of toss it over the fence and if the business wasn't part of it or they they don't you know understand what it's supposed to help them do it won't be adopted and then you didn't drive the impact that you that you needed to no matter how brilliant your solution was so that co-creation is so important to us because we also do quite a we spend quite a bit of time focusing on UX and UI understanding exactly how folks business folks are making decisions and why do you, or why are you looking at it this way and sort of why, why, why the next levels of why to make sure that our visualizations, the ease of use, that everything is very intuitive and fits with the process. And, you know, it, it, it can take a little bit longer to do that approach, that co-creation approach. But in my experience, that's where you actually get to meaningful lasting impact because you want people to use what you're creating. That's the only way you actually drive change. And I, I don't think you can shortcut that part of the process. No, I would agree. So you've accomplished so much in two and a half years. I want to go back a little bit and go back earlier in your career. So you joined Colgate Palmolive from another iconic brand, Mattel. So I feel like I should ask you, have you seen the Barbie movie yet? Of course I have. I have seen the Barbie movie three times, actually. Oh, my gosh. So I took my husband right when it came out because my kids were off at summer camp. And then I took my daughter, um, and then I actually just bought it on uh, when it became available digitally and watched it um, with my son. So oh, yeah, good. I love good it, and I hope you. everyone sees it. Yeah, I'm very yeah, I'm good proud that your husband have, went. Yes. I mean, I, I just loved it. I think it's, you know, I, I'm very proud to have worked on the Barbie brand for eight years that I was at Mattel. So I thought it was brilliantly brought to life. I loved it. Okay. Well, full disclosure, I haven't yet seen it. I've been lobbying my husband. Instead, he took me to see Oppenheimer, which I think was a very good movie, but very, very different. So I am I look forward to watching it on demand soon. You have to let me know after. I did that Barbenheimer weekend too, like a lot of people did. <laughs> Barbenheimer, I haven't heard of that. That's, that's a good one. And you, another iconic brand earlier in your career at the Disney company, so I'm seeing a pattern. Have you always loved data and these just iconic brands? Or when did you realize that this would be your career? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always been an analytical person. I mean, even as a child, I've always loved math. But I've also loved writing and storytelling and communications, I'd say, equally as much. So I love my math classes and I love my English classes um, equally. And... You know, I, I love the simplicity of a one pager, like a beautiful slide that is elegant and conveys, you know, a story that you're trying to tell with data. And that was something I learned early on, actually, in my Disney career, 
about the importance of you know, being able to communicate why numbers matter and what the data is trying to tell you in a way that your audience will understand. So I've always been drawn to that. I think, um, yeah, thinking about the companies that I have worked for in my career, um, they typically are consumer-facing companies that I, I mean, I've been fortunate that I had a personal, felt a personal connection to all of them. So I grew up in California, going to Disneyland, was thrilled to join Walt Disney Company um, when I graduated. And of course, Mattel, I grew up um, playing with those toys and my kids did as well with so many brands. And now, I mean, Colgate, I, I use so many of the products myself. And so I've been very fortunate to work for brands where I feel I have a personal connection as a as a consumer as well. Yeah, that's great. And Diana, as I think across, across all our guests on the Data Chief podcast and my years interacting with people, I, I'm pretty sure you're the first person that has said, I loved my math and uh, writing in English and stories equally well, which is true of me too. So now I have to, I feel like I have to ask you, what about the science classes? Oh, I love that as well. And actually I was at a, a wonderful conference this week hosted by an organization called World 50 that I'm a part of, and it was the New York Botanical Garden. And we were doing a lab tour, a biodiversity lab tour. And I was actually thinking, you know, there's all these paths your life could have taken. Like, what if I had leaned in on the science side? Yeah, yeah. But so, so sadly, I was not as into the science. And so one of my teachers early on said, well, Cindy, the math without the science, I don't know what the heck you're going to do. Like, just go become a writer or something like that. But ah. I do think it's come full circle. So I'm, I'm okay with where I landed. Yeah. So Diana, this has been a great discussion on all wonderful brands, your journey at Colgate, Palmolive. I want to do a pivot to a lightning round. So if you think about when you're not working with data or going to the botanical gardens, what is a favorite activity? Okay. Well, I would say I have a golden doodle. His name's Bagel. Um, So the family loves to take walks um, with him and take him out. Now he's California born and raised, but now he's a New Yorker. So we loved getting him out in, in the nature around where we live. And then I would say probably, you know, obviously spending time with family, movies, reading, yes. all of those things. All good things. So you're going to have to share a picture of of your golden doodle. I haven't burned a doodle and we like data and dogs on this show. So we'll have to share a picture if you're willing. If you were CEO for a day, what would you say to the data team? Oh, I would tell them. You are making such an impact and everything that you're doing is tied to helping, you know, drive Colgate's strategy and vision and our purpose. We have a wonderful purpose here. This is actually one of the things that drew me to Colgate, which is to reimagine a healthier future for all people, their pets and our planet. I mean, I can't think of anything, you know, that I'd want to work towards more than something like that. And so I would tell the team, like, you are a critical part in bringing that to life. Very inspiring. I do tell them that, by the way, but I'm not the CEO. (laughs) As long as they're hearing it, I think that's good. And then it's consistent with what you believe the CEO would say. I think that's a great thing. What about one word to describe generative AI? Revolutionary. A song that pumps you up after a hard day. Okay. I love Who Run the World Girls by Beyonce. That one always gets me going on a run, too. Good. And a final question. You can choose, depending on your mood at the moment, either something that has made you totally laugh out loud recently or 
What are you most grateful for? Maybe beyond, of course, the obvious of health and family. Besides health and family, something I'm really grateful for is something I have called a personal board of directors. So it's a group of women that I went to business school with. And, you know, we have very close friendships and we have stayed very connected in the, you know, I guess uh, 15, close to 20 years now since we graduated. We all live all around the country, but we we really make it a point to get together um, typically once a year and, you know, reconnect. And we consider each other sort of our sounding boards, our personal board of directors. They've all gone in different places in their career as well. You know, it starts to get lonely at the top in leadership roles as you ascend. And having that connection to a group that, you know, I've stayed close with um, since I was much younger has been something that's really important and I really value. Yeah, what a gift that you have that. And I think an aspirational goal that we should all strive for is to have that personal board of directors. Diana, thank you so much for being on The Data Chief. Thank you, Cindy. It's been wonderful to be here. Now you have to go see the Barbie movie after this. I do. I will. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.